I'm going to be continuing with our series called Thrive that we've started. Uh, we started earlier this month, or rather in February. But, um, oh, thanks, Pastor Andrew. But I just want to highlight this message uh, that Pastor Andrew preached last week. If you went here, go to our website now and download that message. You will richly be blessed. Uh, it is a message on overcoming offense if there are things in your heart. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I find very often that is a hindrance to people experiencing breakthrough is that they, they, they have become bitter and they are very, very um, offended in their hearts. And the moment you learn how to get over that, I think it, it opens up uh, many, many doors of blessings to your life. And so it's an important message. Really don't miss that. Get that on our website. You'll really be blessed. But I want to pray, Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you that you send your word to bless us. Thank you that you send your word to teach and correct us. You send your word to help us to grow in you. And Lord, we open our hearts this morning to receiving from you. Lord, we pray that our hearts will be changed and our hearts will never be the same again after receiving your word. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So I'm going to use my phone again to as a remote control for my slides. So I'm not just being fancy. <laughs> it's a simple app that anyone can download. Uh, so, well, it's my wife's phone. She says. <laughs> but I want to continue with the message, and the title of my message today is going to be "Failing Forward." Uh, I don't know, it doesn't sound so exciting to fail forward. Uh, but I, I've come to realize sometime in life that in order for us to fully understand uh, how to succeed, somehow we also have to understand how to fail well. <laughs> because sometimes before we get something right, we attempt a few times. And in our attempts, we fail. And if we don't know how to deal with when we fail, we might not experience the success that God calls us to enjoy. And so today's message is not a discouraging message. It is a message to help us understand that when we are confronted with situations that don't seem as successful as we would hope them to be, that we understand that, hey, you know what? This is just a learning phase that God has me in. That this is not a place of my residence. It is just a place of my transition. I'm, I'm learning some stuff from here. And sometimes when we fail, we're so too, we're too quick to get up uh, without necessarily learning some things that are on the ground because you won't be there for too long anyway. So sometimes it's good to ponder in that place of your failings to learn as much as you can so when you get up, you won't go back down there. And so I'm going to share from a story that is that I find to be quite sad in the Bible. You know, the Bible is amazing. It's got wonderful stories. And then the Bible has got these weird stories. I don't know if you find that when you read the Bible. It's like got this weird, you know, these weird stories that, that are shared of people killing each other, of children dying and women being raped and things. And, and sometimes when you read that side of the Bible, it doesn't sound so good. But I believe it's for us to be instructed in learning that God has put that there to help us understand that when we do this, this would be the outcome of our actions. So it's not there to scare us. So I want to read one of those stories today. Uh, and it's the story of 
David. There we go. <laughs> this is Second Samuel chapter, Second uh, Samuel chapter eleven from verse one to four. I want to read quickly. It says, "In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem." One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. <laughs> the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. What, is, what a story. What a story. Now, when you, when you read the background of the life of David, David was a warrior. David was a fighter. This was not a kind of man who would stay behind when it is time to fight. You know, David is the one that when the armies of God were afraid to confront this giant called Goliath, he stood forward and said, hey guys, I will beat this man. I will kill this man because I've seen God work through me and in my life. We've seen David being, uh, you know, commanding armies to war. And so David was not a, a coward. The Bible doesn't give us the reasons why he stayed behind and didn't go to war. Maybe he was sick. Or maybe it was just too prideful that this is not my thing anymore. Now I'm king. I don't need to fight any battles. Or, or maybe just, maybe he had his own personal reasons why he didn't go to war. The Bible doesn't give us those reasons. But the Bible says he didn't go to war at the time when kings were supposed to go to war. And I, I think I want to open a bracket here. Sometime I think we find ourselves seeing things we shouldn't see. Because we are in places we shouldn't be. We, we find ourselves going through experiences in life that we shouldn't go through because we find ourselves in places where God has not called us to be. At the time when David was supposed to be killing the enemies of Israel, he decided to stay home. And because he was not in a position and a place where God wanted him to be, now he's seeing things he wasn't supposed to see. And so he's walking and he sees a lady bathing. Now, I don't want to conjure up any images in your minds or anything. But in order for you if, you, if you happen to be walking and you happen to see someone bathing by some weird occurrence, if your intention is not to see, you won't even notice how beautiful they are. If you go as far as noticing that this person was very beautiful, to the point that you can describe her to somebody else to go find out who she is. You must have looked too long. <laughs> so so I, I think David didn't just happen to see. I think he, he stood there for a moment and just kept staring. And looking at her to the, to, the, to the extent that he was able to go to someone and say, You know what? I saw this lady. She looks like this. Please go out and find out who she is. And so he sends one of the messenger first. The messenger goes, the messenger comes back and says to him, 
hey, hey, I, I can imagine the messenger coming back to David. Hey, hey, king, I, I now finally found out who this woman is. She's the daughter of Eliam. And by the way, she's married to Uriah. And probably that this messenger is expecting you to say, oh, okay, oh, she's married. Okay, now I understand she's married. It's fine. And he accentuated the fact that she's married to Uriah the Hittite. The Hittite, he was not an Israelite. He was a Hittite. But he was a commander in the army of God, of the God of the Israelite. He was one of the loyal foreign soldiers in the army of David. And so when the messenger comes, he wants to make sure that David knows who this woman is. He says, hey, this is the wife of one of your soldiers. And all of us would think, wow, David, this is an opportunity for you to back off. I mean, this is the wife of one of your soldiers. And David sends more messengers to bring that woman. And they bring her. Here, the Bible uses the word, he slept with her. Now, if, if the king calls you as a woman, in that society where women were overlooked... Do you really think this woman had the choice to say no to King David? I think she had no choice. I think she just because just the king called for her and the king said, Hey, this is what I want to do. When David stayed behind at the time when kings were supposed to go to war, the culture and the tradition was that some men of war would stay behind to protect the women and the children who were vulnerable. And so David was supposed to stay, at least when he stayed behind, he was supposed to join the group of men who were there to protect the women and the children. But instead of protecting the women and the children, he takes advantage of the very people that he was supposed to protect. He takes advantage of this vulnerable woman whose husband has left to go to war and fight for the kingdom whose king David was. And so he had this intercourse with her and he just feels so bad that she went back home. I don't know about you. I've got nieces. I've got sisters. But I just this just didn't sit right with me. That, that you would call for a woman who's innocent and she was just bathing without even knowing what was happening. And then you, you sleep with her and you just send her back home. Just like, yeah, yeah, you can go back to your house. I'm done. And so she goes back home to the house. And she realizes weeks later that she's actually pregnant. And so David had three things that he failed in, which I believe most of us, failing and we need to understand and learn how to get up from those and so david had these three things he had a position he was a king he had to make a decision and he had to act and all of us in one area or the other we have a position maybe you're a manager maybe you are a wife or a husband or a daughter or a son each of us in this place has a position and we have a decision to make that comes with that position. And with that position, we can act. We can act either in manipulation or in righteousness. And so I want us to learn from the life of David how he failed in his position. And so the woman realized that this is the continuation of the story. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. 
So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. And so here's David. He uses his position as king to bring back Uriah from the wall so that Uriah would come and go to his house. And then he would have intercourse with his wife so that this whole baby would be seen as though it was Uriah's child instead of David. He uses his position to, to bring about this guy. Come here, come here. I want you, I want you to go to your, to your house. In fact, he goes as far as giving him a gift to take home with. Whilst he knows very well in his heart that he's committed adultery with the wife of this guy. And he uses his position to manipulate people. He uses his position to try and run away from the responsibility of taking charge of this child that was his. He uses his position to bring Uriah from the wall so that he can trap him. Not even being considerate of how the wife of Uriah would feel. He's trying to cover up for himself because he's king. He can do anything. How many of us are here and we know that we have failed in our positions? Maybe as a wife, maybe, maybe as a daughter, maybe as an employee or a manager or a boss. And you know that instead of using the position that God gave you, you have used that position to manipulate other people. You have used that position to beat other people down. You have failed in the position that God has given you. David is using his position to try and cover up the things that he has done. And Uriah, as though he knew, I think he may have known. I, the Bible doesn't say that. But because the messengers, you know soldiers have their own relationships outside of the king? And because he kept sending messengers, maybe those messengers had whispered to David. Or maybe Bathsheba had whispered to somebody else and said, Hey, this is what the king did. He raped me. Maybe Uriah knew and so Uriah refused to go back home. And stayed outside the palace. And the story continues and David had a decision and so he decides to do something else. He says, this, since this guy doesn't want to go home, he says, I'll, I'll pull up one more stunt. He says, at David's invitation, this is referring to Uriah, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. This guy didn't want to get drunk. Literally, David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went outside to sleep on a mat among his master's servants, he did not go home. And so David finally decides, you know what? I'll get this guy drunk and I'm, I'm, I'll send him back home so that he will be with his wife and this responsibility of fathering this child would not be mine. 
this responsibility of taking care of this woman that I just saw for once and I just wanted to be with her for once and leave her. I don't want her in my life and therefore I'll do anything to cover this up. And Uriah decides, I don't know why he kept deciding not to go home. But he doesn't want to go home and so the king is frustrated. He's like, I've, I've done everything I can to try and get this guy to go home. But he still doesn't want to go home. And so thirdly, this is what he decides to do. Action. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. I want to stop there. He writes a letter, which is almost a suicide letter that will kill this man. And he takes that letter and gives it to the man whose life will be killed. And destroyed because of this later. I mean, David has no heart. You writing a letter to kill me and you are giving it to me to take to someone who's going to kill me or get me killed. And in the, and in the, in it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him. So he will be struck down and die. While Joab at the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. And David is not satisfied with the fact his king, I mean, remember, he's got all the resources of the kingdom. It is not the lack of money to look after this child. It is not the lack of space to host this woman. It is just out of his own pride. Now he's acting in a way that is not consistent with the God he serves. How many of us are here and we know that we have failed in some aspects? In the way we have acted in our lives. The way we have acted toward people. The way we have acted toward our wives, our husbands. The way we have, we know and we know so well. Because sometimes it doesn't take another person to convince us to know what we've done. It takes just us to know what we've done. And David is just not satisfied. He decides he wants to act and get this guy killed. How many of us, maybe we haven't killed anyone physically. Maybe you have. But how many of us have acted in a way that is not consistent with what God expects of us? In the way we do our work, in the way we relate to people, how many of us have been so inconsistent in the way we act? And on again, we live with the guilt and the shame of some things that we have done. Maybe the story of David and running away from the responsibility of fathering a child. Maybe that could directly relate to you that, that you know you got the lady pregnant, but, but you know you, 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 you could, you could run away from it and you were able to run away from it and you've ran away from that responsibility. And David decides to get this man killed. I can imagine the, the, the sadness in the camp. When they know this loyal soldier of the kingdom 
has been killed, not because the army was so weak to defend him, but because the king wanted him to die. And the reason why the king wanted him to die was just because the king was walking on the roof of the palace and happened to see this beautiful woman and decides to be with her even though he knew she belonged to somebody else. And so David is now confronted with this reality. You know sometimes when you, you're trying to get out of something, you find yourself digging even deeper, getting into it? It started with just adultery. It moved to manipulation and trying to get Uriah to be with his wife. Then it moved to murder. And this is what happens, I believe, progressively. When we take advantage of who we are and our positions in God, and we refuse to deal with the things that happen to us as a result of that, progressively we are digging a deeper grave for ourselves. And you realize five years after you, your life is messier than it was earlier because you refused to deal well with the things that weren't supposed to happen because of your position, because of your decision, and because of your actions. And so a prophet in Israel called Nathan comes and confronts David. He didn't confront David directly as engaging him. He gave him like a storyline of someone who had so many versus someone who had almost nothing. And he says, David, the person who had so many had this guest and he wanted to prepare a meal for his guest and decided to go to this poor house and take all that they had to prepare for the guest. And David said, that man must be killed. He must pay this. He must pay that. And then Nathan says, oh, king, that man is you. You have all this splendor and this wealth in your kingdom. And Uriah only has a wife. And he's just a soldier. And you have decided because of your position, you have decided to leave everything that you've got and go after this man who's only got just a wife. And you've taken even that away from him. And so in response to that, because David was a man after the heart of God, he writes Psalm 51. And so I'm going to, I'm not going to read the whole Psalm 51, but it's, it's a profound chapter that David writes in response to the sin he had committed before God with Bathsheba. And so this is what Psalm 51 says. And David begins, or rather continues, this is not the beginning. He says, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. David writes Psalm 51, crying before God for the sin that he'd committed against Uriah. Yes, he couldn't bring back Uriah to life because he didn't realize what he was doing maybe. But he realizes when he's confronted with the things that he's done, he does the following, which I believe in order for us to move forward, from our failings, in order for us to move forward from the mistakes that we've made in the past. Amongst others, I believe we need to do the following. And David owned 
his mistakes. For I recognize my rebellion. He owned his mistakes. He didn't want to blame other circumstances for what had happened to him or what he had done, but he owned his mistakes. See, if you want to get up from where you have fallen, whether in your decision making, in your actions or in your position, you've got to come to a place where you own your mistakes. See, when you don't own your part of your failure, the likelihood of you failing again is higher because you would not know how to avoid that trap next time because you didn't own your part. And so David says, Lord, I acknowledge what I've done. I own my mistakes. And owning your mistakes helps you to move forward and create a future that is better than both your present and your past. Because when you own your mistakes, it helps you to understand, not to repeat the same thing when you're confronted with a similar situation. So he owned his mistakes. And the second thing that David did is that he learned how to forgive himself. You know, as being a pastor for some time now, Sometimes it becomes easier to run to someone and fall on your knees and beg them to forgive you. And it, it can be easy for someone else to even forgive you, but it becomes hard when you have to fall on your knees of yourself and beg yourself to forgive yourself. It becomes so hard that, that you find yourself day and night being haunted by the things that you have done in your past, by, by, by your decisions, by the mistakes that you've made, you find yourself being haunted by such things. And it's important in order for you to move forward that you learn to forgive yourself. That you learn to let yourself go of the bad decisions that you've made. That you learn to let yourself go and lose of the, of the mistakes that you've made. That it's important that you learn to forgive yourself. And if you cannot forgive yourself, you, you will be, you will be beating yourself down every time. And your life will not go anywhere. Because instead of focusing on the future, you are just going around the circle of the past mistakes. Instead of focusing on where God is calling you and say, you know what? Yes, I have owned my mistakes. Yes, I should have done better. Yes, for my marriage to work, I should have been more proactive. I should have done this. Or yes, for my business to work, I should have done this. Or maybe the, the last place of employment that I left, I wasn't a good person. I, had, I was too moody. I was this. When you own that, but then you learn to forgive yourself. Like I let myself go. I need to move forward with God. There's a story in the scripture which I really, really love. Two men very similar in their position. The one was called Judas. Another one was called Peter. You remember them? And Judas was a disciple of Jesus. And I, and I know sometime when I read Judas in the Bible, my, 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 the way I view him is never in a positive light. Because this is a man who betrayed Jesus. But Judas must have had something good to qualify as one of the 12 disciples. 
I think Jesus saw something in this dude and said, you know what, man, you come on here. There were so many men in Israel, but he was chosen and selected by Jesus. He was entrusted with the treasury of, of the whole ministry of Jesus. Although the Bible does say that now and again he took some money for himself, but he was at least, <laughs> you know, trusted with the treasury of the ministry of Jesus. And so, because of his own lust for money, he decides to betray Jesus. He wants to sell Jesus. And he didn't realize when you read the whole story, he didn't know that Jesus was going to be killed as a result of his betrayal. And so he sells Jesus and when he realized the magnitude of what he'd done, he decided to go back and return the money. And said, no, 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 I didn't know you were going to kill Jesus. Please take your money back. I don't want this money anymore. Please, this man is innocent. But because the priests were looking for an opportunity to kill Jesus, they rejected that refund. <laughs> they said, we will not take your money because we were looking for an opportunity to kill this man. And when Judas heard that they rejected his money, he decided to do something. He went and he thought, there's no hope for me. I've, I've betrayed this innocent life. And the only way for me is to kill myself. And he went, sorry, he went and hanged himself, the Bible says, and committed suicide and killed himself. And then during the same period, Peter goes to this place where Jesus was being tried. And when Jesus was being spat on and beaten and, and Peter is looking at Jesus and some people come along and say, Hey, Peter, we think you were with Jesus. And Peter says, no, I don't know this man. And somebody else comes along and says, Peter, we think you are with Jesus. He says, no, I don't know this man. Another person comes up, Peter, we know you are with Jesus. He says, no, I don't know this man. And then he remembers the words of Jesus that said to him, you will deny me three times. And the Bible says at that moment, Peter began to cry, began to sob, and began to repent for having denied Jesus three times. What am I saying here? You look at the two men committing almost a similar act, but yet one chose to forgive themselves. Another one chose that there is no hope. I will just kill myself and end my life right now. How many of us sometimes, because we cannot forgive ourselves and we think the only hope is that we die? Is that the only hope is that we just there's just nothing in the future for me. This is too big that I have done. And I cannot move on. I just have to kill myself. But yet Peter chooses to forgive himself. And the Bible says Peter became one of the greatest apostles when you read the book of Acts. The miracles and signs and wonders. In fact, the Bible goes as far as describing the shadow of Peter healing the sick. Literally, he's walking and people are being healed. Imagine if he had never forgiven himself. How many sick people would have remained sick just because he didn't forgive himself? The benefits of forgiving yourself are such that there are so many people that are waiting for your potential. There are so many people that are working for you to be manifested for your gifts and your talent. 
There's so many marriages that are waiting to hear your story so that they can be restored and find hope. There's so many people that are waiting for you to come out. And it's important for you to learn to forgive yourself so that you can move on and manifest your full potential in God. And David continues to say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your praises and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What is the third thing that David did? He found God. He found God. The temptation to walk away from God when you have failed is so big. Because of the shame, because of the disappointment, because of the hurt, you are tempted to run away from God. But David, in the midst of that, decides to find God. The life of a Christian and having God in our lives is not a complimentary thing. Having God is part of, I'm living life and I need this guy to be with me. Being with God is, is the, almost the epicenter of our lives. Being with God is because He is the source of life. And so finding God is not just a good idea. It is an imperative that you find God. It is an imperative that you find God that you don't live life by yourself. Because in God there is hope. In God there is joy. In God there is a better future irrespective of your past. And David found God. And if you are here, you have not found God, you are running away from God. This is the day for you. To find God. And realize that, man, I cannot continue living like this. I cannot continue being sleepless every single night. I cannot go on with my life like this. I've got to find God. Can we please rise to our feet as I'm closing? I want to find God. And I know we, we're coming from different places. Our choices have been different. Our decisions have been different. Our positions are different. But if you know that somewhere you have failed in an area. I want you to remember the three things. Own your mistakes. Forgive yourself and find God. But I'm inviting you right now. You don't have to go to your knees. You can go to your knees in your heart. But you can also go to your knees physically if you want to. But I want us to take a moment to just cry out to God. Crying out to God for His mercy. And, and if you have not found God. I would love to pray with you here at the front and just don't be ashamed. Don't be, nobody's going to look down on you. Sometimes you need to make that step of faith. And have almost an I don't care attitude of what other people would say or think of me. I just want to find God. And so if that's you, I'm inviting you to come forward. And for the rest of us, I just want us to keep crying out for mercy. 
keep crying out for mercy. And in the areas where you know that you have left God behind. In the areas where you know that God is not present. And I want you to begin to invite God back in that place. Lord, come back in my marriage. Lord, come back in my business. Lord, come back in my studies. Lord, come back in my thinking. Lord, come back in the way I manage people. Lord, come back and begin to invite the Lord in the areas where you feel you've left him behind. And I want to hear you pray. There's something that happens when you pray yourself and you open your mouth and you cry out to God and you invite him to come. Father, we are inviting you right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, this day, Lord, like you restored the life of David, Lord, like you forgave David, we are standing before you. There's no mistake that is too big for you to forgive. Lord, we write our own songs in our heart and singing our repentance to you. And we're asking that you would restore our positions. That you would redeem our minds to make right decisions in order for us to make good actions. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.